All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real. It's just your point of view. How does it feel for you? Einstein said he could never understand it all. Planets are spinning through space. Smile upon your face. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I am also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Roger Wiegand, who publishes Trader Tracks, and Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And as we tell you almost every week, we have special one-time introductory offers. You can call my assistant, Claudio Bassi, in New York at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426, to sign up for the one-time only uh, introductory trial, special trial subscription offers. Well, we have a very, very busy schedule today, no doubt about it. Um, we're, our main guest is going to be Adrian Douglas. Today we've seen a pop in the gold price, uh, up some $27 to $1,272. Uh, this is very fitting for the, uh, for the topic of today. Uh, Adrian Douglas will be with us at a half past three Eastern time. And Adrian will be talking about the gold rigging, rigging by the main five banks that sit on the London AM and PM fix. I believe that Adrian is providing irrefutable evidence that, in fact, uh, the powers that be are trying to hold the price of gold down to enhance the confidence, the big con game, as it were, in paper money. So Adrian will be with us on a very, very fitting day, in my view. Uh, we're also going to be talking to a couple of companies that are sponsors to this show. Uh, Frank Candido is going to be with us. He's with Golden Hope Mines. And we will also be talking later in the day uh, we'll be also talking to uh, Peter Berner and Dr. Templeton. Both uh, of those gentlemen are from Richfield Ventures. So uh, we're, we've got a lot of, of things going on today, but before we even get to our first guest, I want to tell you I'm up here in Val d'Or, Quebec. It's uh, one, of the, one of the most prolific mining communities in the world, and there are some very, very exciting mining companies that I'm going to be telling my subscribers about. 
And one of those companies that I have told them about in the past is Metanor Resources. Metanor Resources, in fact, I'm sitting in the office of Metanor Resources right now, thanks to my good friend Ron Perry. And Metanor Resources has been a sponsor to this show in the past. They may be a sponsor in the, again in the future. But whether they are or not, I have to say it's one of my favorite companies. I have them in my newsletter. It is a recommendation of mine. The stock has not been behaving terribly well lately. But you know what? That can be really good news. Now, what I would like to do is put my good friend Ron Perry. He's sitting in an office next to me here. And we're going to talk to Ron. Ron, are you there? Oh, yes. Thanks. Ron, Thanks for having me, Jay. I'm really glad to have you on my show. Could you, uh, you know, there's, there's been, um, uh, your company is really going forward, as I see it, as it always has. There have been a couple of hiccups. There was an unfortunate accident that sort of hurt your stock in the past. But, but if you could just take a couple of minutes to let our listeners uh, give us an update on your company. Maybe start with the number of shares outstanding in the price. Where are you, where are you trading today? Well, right, we have 133 million shares outstanding, and we are trading around 62 cents mm-hmm. uh, right now, up from uh, what well, we, we traded as low as 40 cents a couple of weeks ago. But uh, we have eminent news uh, on our 43101 on Barry property coming out, and we'll be updating the corporate presentation after that to uh, really show people the blue sky potential on the buried pit because we've issued press releases and some of them have gone on deaf ears. But uh, the one with the anomalies, we're preparing a slide that I think they'll show people. Uh, you know, the the pit is an anomaly, but uh, if we have other other anomalies as big or bigger uh, on our property, people have to realize we have uh, you know close to close to 15 kilometers in length. The Barry Pit is only one kilometer uh, in length at present, and it's open in all directions still and open at depth, and we have all these anomalies outside. So we're really going to show the readers once this 43101 is published uh, this week, we'll... uh We'll uh, we'll get the we'll get things uh, we'll get things out so the readers and uh, the investors at large will see uh, what Metanor shows as potential just on the Barry Pit for that and then we still yeah. have natural lake. Indeed, Ron. So you're uh, you you actually have a forty three one on one calculation there already, do you not? Uh, on the Barry Pit, yeah. Yes. Well, when we purchased it, it had thirty five thousand measured and indicated ounces uh, when we purchased it in two thousand six. Uh, since then, we've mined well over forty. Uh, so we're we're short five. So obviously, uh, you know, there, we found more gold, and uh, I think once we show uh, show the investors uh, and our shareholders what we found, because uh, basically, you know, you got to remember the original story of uh, Metanor was getting a mill, and as being as the cornerstone of the strategy and doing acquisitions in the area. And our first acquisition, a temporary asset of Barry, turned into a long-term asset. So we've been we've been using a lot of the funds that were supposed to go for Bachelor on Barry, but I think the investment is going to pay off when we show people the number of ounces that we have at Barry. Uh, well, indeed, and I mean, the, the thing is that you have a, a mill now with a capacity of what, did you say? 1,200 tons per day. That was 12, the third, 1200 the third upgrade in just over two years that we've done on that mill. Okay, and you have, um, and and you and uh, as you say, you've got you've been feeding the mill from the berry, uh, and those are lower grade ounces. I might mention uh, that you know, you've got to truck this a fair distance right now. Once you get your ounces built up, as I understand it, at the berry, you may there it may be feasible. It would seem to build a concentration plant, so you're not so you're hauling you know higher value uh, ore over to the mill for processing at the at the. Uh, Bachelor Lake, is that right? No, no question. Once the 43101 is public and once we start our drilling campaign, I think people will, the strategy at Metron will be a little bit different. Uh, there's no question. With the Barry Pit, with the lower grade but higher tonnage, 
uh, and with a good drill campaign uh, up to 50,000 meters, but maybe starting with 2030 right away, uh, I think we could double that resource number that we're going to announce this week. And then I think after that, you can get a bankable, feasible study. Uh, you know, we, we've, we've, we envision Metanor, obviously, we see in the future bachelor mill handling bachelor and friend ore. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the original game plan was to be 700 tons per day from bachelor and 500 tons for Barry, and that was going to give us about 68,000 ounces. But if we remove the 500 uh, tons per day from Barry and replace it with uh, 300 to 500 tons per day from Bachelor, you end up with almost 100,000 ounces just from Bachelor Lake at the Bachelor Mill. And then if you put a, you know, whatever, an 8,000 ton mill at uh, or concentrator at, at Barry, uh, Methanol becomes 150 to 200,000 ounce uh, producer in two years. So mm-hmm. right now, I think we're going to be, uh, we'll be identified as a, a successful exploration company that also produces. I think, you know, we have to, our identity, you know, being grouped as a producer with American Barrick and, uh, you know, other junior producers, we're not that. I mean, we've, we've, we've produced from the pit, we've gained experience, we've mined. Uh, the mining also gave us exploration. When you, when you, uh, you know, when you get rid of overburden, you see the structure more. So we've really, really shown uh, what, uh, what Methanor has done at Barry is going to be a very big success, I think. Well, it certainly seems to me if you've got, uh, you've only explored maybe part of one kilometer of 15 kilometer strike length, of course, that's not to say that it's, con- that it's continuous, that, that, you know, there's no way of knowing until you put the drill down how many ounces might be there. But I believe your, your berry deposit is open at depth, too, is it not? Oh, it is open at depth, Jay. We've, yeah. we've hit the structure at 400, uh, 400 plus meters. Mm-hmm. It's open in all directions. And uh, like I said, once we show people, and we'll show yourself since you're in our offices, we'll show you our, the anomalies, uh, and you'll, 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 you'll see where the blue sky is, definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it really is an exciting uh, property. There's no doubt about it. And I might say that here in Val d'Or, Quebec, uh, you know, Quebec is, is probably the premier gold mining province, one of the most prolific gold mining provinces in the world, one of the most mining-friendly provinces in the world. Uh, and so that's one of the reasons I'm up here, because there's so many good gold mining companies. And as I've been telling you, uh, listeners to this show, that I believe we're in the bull market of a lifetime for gold mining companies. And uh, we're just about out of time here, Ron. Is there one more thing you want to say? Because actually, when we finish with you, we're going to go to another gold mining company, a, a gold exploration company. We've got Frank Candido, the president of Golden Hope Mines, waiting to tell his story. They've made a new discovery in a different part of Quebec. But, Ron, any parting words before we go to commercial break? No, I think Jay has pretty much summed it up. I appreciate you having on the show. And then, as I said, we have the MNN 43101, a new corporate presentation. We'll show the anomalies, the drill program. And then uh, we're also looking into uh, just one quick thing is on the Bachelor Lake property in Ufren. That has a historical 43101, about 300,000 ounces in 2005. Mm -hmm. Since then, there has been some more work done on the property, and there's a lot of work we did on Ufren uh, that has not been included in a 43101, so uh, we're going to be updating that 43101, and the cutoff grade at, uh, when we did the 300,000 ounces was done when gold was at $485 an ounce, and the cutoff, I think, was at three and a half. So uh, we think, you know, with an investment of a 43101 and try to get that out uh, in 2010 before the end of the year uh, is, is feasible. And in updating that, I think, will give uh, Metamor right. uh, a, lot of, a lot of ounces in its Thank inventory. you, Ron. Thank you very much. The music is telling us it's time to go Perfect. to break now. So thanks thank again, Jay. Much. Ron, I'll be updating my subscribers, of course, this weekend uh, on, on your company. So thanks again. And folks, don't go away because we've got another exciting gold mining company here in Quebec. A Golden Hope Mines will be with us to tell their story in just a minute, so don't go away. 
comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer-long by 20-kilometer-wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open-pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. The high-risk but high-reward business of mineral exploration is key to discovery and development of America's next generation of mines. A leader in this search is Millrock Resources. Based in Anchorage, Millrock is revealing the astounding potential for gold deposits in the Alaska frontier. In Arizona, the target is giant, hidden porphyry copper deposits. Financing this search are joint venture partners Peck, Ballet, Inmet, Kinross, and Altius, major industry players. Together, the aim is discovering world-class gold and copper deposits to help secure America's productive future. Investors can share in the potential rewards. Millrock trades on the TSX Venture Exchange, symbol MRO. Brigus Gold is a growing gold producer with expected production of about 85,000 ounces of gold this year from its Black Fox mine in the Timmins Gold District in Canada. Next door to Black Fox, Brigus has the exciting Gray Fox Pike River Gold Project. Brigus is also advancing its Goldfields Project in Saskatchewan, Canada, and its promising exploration projects in Mexico and the Dominican Republic. All of its gold assets are in low-risk operating jurisdictions. Consider Brigus as your gold investment choice. Brigus is listed on the MX and TSX under the symbol BRD. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let the snappy opportunity pass by. Solidan Gold is focused on the exploration and development of its wholly owned Showindo Gold Project in Peru. The company is currently undertaking the largest exploration program to date on the property and with this, expects to continue increasing its current mineral resource. A preliminary assessment was completed last year, highlighting a very positive and economical project, and a bankable feasibility study is currently underway. Don't miss this great opportunity to embark on an emerging gold production story. Visit www.solidan.com to learn more when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network welcome to the human race some kind of love and ride i'll be sliding down i'll be gliding down try not to try too hard 
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, as I mentioned in the first segment, today is a fantastic day for gold bulls. Gold is up 27 bucks. the last I looked, to $1,272.00. And we are going to have our guest, uh, Adrian Douglas, our main guest today, is going to talk about how the, the central banks, uh, or at least let's say the five banks that sit on the London ex- uh, exchange or the fix, the PM and AM fix, how they've been rigging the gold price for, for a long time, but it's no longer working. There are powers, the forces of the market are starting to take over, and we're seeing uh, more and more uh, uh, suppression of the gold price required to hold it down, and it's not working at all. It's getting away from them. This is what I believed would happen all along, and now we're looking at gold mining. I've been calling it the buying opportunity of a lifetime, so I'm very pleased to have another gold mining company sponsor, uh, Golden Hope Mines, and uh, Frank Candido, the president of that company, is with us. Welcome, Frank. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, it's just great to have you on. You know, I'll tell our listeners that I was with you. I drove up to the to your property southeast uh, southeast of Quebec City a number of weeks ago. Uh, you definitely have uh, something that's very very promising there. I'll let you talk about that in just a second. But let me just say that uh, that Golden Hope Mines uh, trades on the Toronto Exchange under uh, GNH, I believe is the symbol, and it trades also on the over the counter market where I purchased my shares. It's G-O-L-H-F, G-O-L-H-F. And I have 101.1 million shares outstanding, recent price around 64 cents. Does that sound right, Frank? Uh, yeah, it's about 103 million, actually, Jay, and uh, the recent price, the actual price is 69 cents. So okay, you're, so we've you're had, in the ballpark. Had a move. Did you have a move today with today's gold price? Uh, no, not really. We've been hovering at these levels. We've been trading in, you know, in the sort of 65 to 70 cent range now for a little while. Mm-hmm. No, not really. No. I what think, what uh, is your all-time high? When you're going, oh. uh, the 52-week the high is 74 cents, so okay. we're trading close to that 52-week mm-hmm. high. Mm-hmm. Very good. All right. Well, you have a, a definitely. You do have a flagship property uh, located southeast of Quebec City. Could you tell our listeners uh, a little about that? Yeah, I mean, we're in the Beauce of Quebec, and uh, you know, when you talk about uh, gold exploration, it's not the first word that comes out of people's mouths. Uh, typically, in Quebec, everyone is, uh, you know, in northern Quebec, uh, in the regions that are very well known. But this was the site of the first uh, Canadian gold rush in the 1800s. Um, there's been some, you know, work done, you know, in the last 30, 35 years in the area, but not until we really took the project over and uh, and started to work it properly has there been any sort of focus in the area and now today uh, you know we're surrounded by other companies that have staked uh, you know everything from where we are all the way down to Sherbrooke Quebec so we're in the midst of you know a staking spree and uh, there's definitely interest in what we're doing in southeastern Quebec now you've had some some very um you've had some very nice assay results would you care to to maybe highlight some of the 
some of the yeah well basically you know the 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 big picture here is that uh you know we were working in an area known as the belshaz timmons area that's that was our main area of focus and we were you know working towards defining this area and then all of a sudden it sort it struck us that um this area not only was in the immediate area but it looked like we had potentially what we refer to as a belt. And uh, this belt is, you know, 20 kilometers long, can be longer, obviously. That's within our claim group. Our claim group is somewhere around 18 kilometers, let's call it. And then uh, it could extend beyond that. And essentially, uh, you know, where we were just defining this small area, which, you know, comprises less than 5% of what we think is a belt, all of a sudden, uh, you know, we started to realize that this was really just a needle in the haystack and that potentially this thing could run on and on for kilometers at a time. So, um, uh, effectively, that's the work that we're doing. We're, work, we're looking to define the immediate area, and so far, we've you know followed mineralization for approximately a, a, a kilometer on strike and approximately 600 meters uh, against strike in the area of Belshazzar Timmins. And then, most recently, we did uh, what we call a step out, approximately 6.2 kilometers south. Of, uh, of Belshazzar Timmins. Uh, we, you know, punched three holes there, and sure enough, we intersected quartz and got VG in one of the holes, and we're waiting for those assay results, uh, which should be in, you know, any day here. So uh, we have a lot of assay results that are going to come out from here till Christmas. Uh, we've got about 8,000 meters that we're going to be reporting on, and I think that this is really going to uh, change uh, for the better the, the, the uh, upside potential on this property. Well, it would seem like you have an awful lot of drilling, uh, you know, ahead of you. Are you you really talking about a 20-kilometer-long strike length of structure that has been identified so far? Uh, that's correct. Uh, you know, like I said, um, these toy type of structures can go on uh, uh, like that. And uh, really, if we were in any other region of Quebec where there were other companies working the property, mm-hmm. as you find in the Abitibi and other parts of Quebec, I- I'm not so sure that Golden Hope would have, you know, this entire structure to itself. And like right. I said, it, it probably, uh, it, you know, extends beyond where we ha- actually have our claims. And, you know, one of the downsides of, of having a uh, of having a, a staking rush is that many other players have come in and taken up some ground that otherwise we would have you know been able to take ourselves. But uh, the fact is is that the only reason it's been overlooked is because no one bothered to look. So mm. it's not a matter of you know people have worked these properties and they've walked away. Really, at the end of the day, it's just a matter of very little money has been spent in terms of looking where we are, even with the rich history that the area has. So. From that point of view, what we're planning on doing is as we define the immediate area where, you know, we've got, we have more than 25,000 meters of drilling historically, including the, the uh, program that we've undertaken, uh, what we're looking to do is we're going to drill nine kilometers to the north. Uh, as I said, we did the uh, 6.2 kilometers to the south. And once we complete that drilling, which is part of this exploration program, I think that will go a long way in terms of, you know, proving to the market that this potential blue sky for a 20-kilometer belt is for real. Mm. And, uh, you know, we're very excited, obviously.
Well, a six-point-two kilometer strike uh, step out—that's uh, yeah. a long ways. So you've got a lot of drilling to fill in between that, those areas. And and how many uh, how many meters did you say your your current drill program is? And then the second question is, how frequently might investors expect assay releases? Well, we've we've completed approximately eight thousand meters of drilling just on the Belshaz Timmins, mm-hmm. uh, um, on the Belon, which is the the six point two kilometer step out. We're not looking to fill all that in uh, immediately. Our immediate target here is to define Belshaz Timmins, the area where we've done most of the drilling. I think that you know that's the first job at hand. Um, and then, as I said, we would look at drilling in this program. So this program, we already have about seven thousand meters. Planned. So that'll take us roughly to 15,000 meters already set for this year. Um, we're going to look to drill that nine kilometers to the north, uh, at least, and drill at least three to five holes up there. Mm-hmm. And you know, and if again we, if we're in the same type of structure, then that will go a long way in terms of at least demonstrating to the market that this belt is for real. Yeah. But really, the job at hand here is to drill and define the area where we've done most of our drilling, which is at Belshaz Timmins. So. Mm-hmm. On that note, we've completed approximately 8,000 meters. We've got 7,000 additional meters already planned, and you know we're drilling as we speak. Um, and we can expect assay results um, any day now. And uh, those assay results will come in at a you know sort of uh, I, I believe in a, a you know a significant results every few weeks thereafter. Mm-hmm. Because you know we've had uh, we started drilling on April 13th of. Uh, of uh, 2010 of this year, and we've increased that uh, program, you know, every other month, and uh, now the assays are all starting to flow in. So mm-hmm. we're going to be able to draw the picture in terms of the immediate area um, for structure, um, you know, and those results are going to start flowing in, as I said, any day here, and um, we have a lot of news to report to the market. Well, news is what drives these markets, especially when the gold market is on fire the way it is now. We started to see the junior mining shares perk up quite a bit in the last number of weeks. Uh, Frank, I think your uh, drill results coming out, if they're favorable, especially on step-out holes of this kind of magnitude, I think is going to generate a lot of excitement. I think that our listeners might do very well to, uh, to keep their eyes on this stock. And, and Frank, you might tell them what your website is. Yeah, the website is uh, goldenhopemines.com. One of the advantages, Jay, that we have is that uh, we've hosted a number of visitors to our property, uh, both institutionally and retail, and we continue to do so. We have another three visitors this week to the property. One of the advantages we have, Jay, is from New York or Toronto. It's approximately a one-hour flight to Quebec City, mm-hmm. and then a one-hour drive to the property. Mm-hmm. So from New York or Toronto, you can fly to the property, visit the property, and be home for dinner, which is tremendous compared right. to you know, remote properties that are much more difficult to get to. And for Montreal, it's a three-and-a-half-hour drive. So well, and it's, of course, accessibility, uh, Frank, is one thing that's positive, very, very positive, but also I think your infrastructure concerns are minimal there as well. Uh, the so. infrastructure is phenomenal. Jay, you've seen it yourself. Yeah. We have electricity city roads. We have every type of access possible. Bottom line is the gold has to be in the ground. It has to be economic. We believe it is. We believe that the deposit uh, potential is enormous. And we have a target set for 100 million tons as our short-term target. But we think that that target is just the beginning, that we can grow that. And I mean, when you start talking tonnages of that magnitude, I mean, 
this is tremendous. This is huge blue sky. Well, I, I couldn't uh, I couldn't disagree with that one minute. Uh, I must say that, uh, folks, if, uh, and this is the word, the little two-letter word, if, but, uh, you know, so far the numbers have come up very, very encouraging. And if this company can prove out 100 million tons of some sort of economic ore, let me tell you, this is no longer a 69-cent stock. It's going to most likely rise to much higher levels. Well, thank you very much, Frank, for being with us and introducing your company to our listeners. I look forward to talking to you again sometime in the near future so we can keep up to date on the progress your company is making. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Jay, and I hope to be back on the show uh, with assay results uh, that we can share with uh, with you and all your listeners. Looking Thanks. forward to it, Frank. I'm looking forward to it very much, and I'm Excellent. also looking forward now, after the break, folks, uh, don't go away because we got Adrian Douglas back. He's going to, I think, provide irre- irrefutable evidence that the gold markets have been rigged and that they're ready to take off. They're ready to go exponential, potentially, in today's $27 move, maybe just the start of that. I don't know, but let's listen to what Adrian has to say after the break, so don't go away. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Richfield Ventures Corp. is a publicly traded junior mining company on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol RVC. Led by an experienced and dedicated team, Richfield is systematically drilling 25,000 meters of core in 2010 on its Blackwater Gold Project in central British Columbia, where the primary goal is to discover a world-class bulk tonnage gold deposit. With $5 million in treasury and 40 million shares fully diluted, Richfield and its shareholders are poised for a major discovery. Go to richfieldventures.ca. CA for further information. Soledin Gold is focused on the exploration and development of its wholly owned Showindo Gold Project in Peru. The company is currently undertaking the largest exploration program to date on the property and with this, expects to continue increasing its current mineral resource. A preliminary assessment was completed last year, highlighting a very positive and economical project, and a bankable feasibility study is currently underway. Don't miss this great opportunity to embark on an emerging gold production story. Visit www.soledin.com to learn more. Dasha Capital is offering the world's first and only corporate stockpile of rare earth minerals, giving investors the ability to participate in the physical ownership of these critical elements without the associated mining and execution risk. 
Rare earth elements are used in many industries, from aerospace and automotive to high-tech and green-tech. Dasha Capital is listed on the TSX.V in Toronto under the symbol DAC and on the OTCQX in the U.S. under symbol DCHAF. Please visit www.dashacapital.com to learn more. That's D-A-C-H-A-Capital.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love ride. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I'm especially pleased to have Adrian Douglas with me uh, as my featured guest in this week's show. Adrian is the publisher of Market Force Analysis. Adrian graduated in 1980 from Cambridge University in England uh, in natural sciences. He worked for 20 years in the oil and gas industry where he reached senior management positions in marketing and sales. During his time in the oil and gas industry, he developed a deep interest in the study of enterprise pricing in commercial markets. This led to his interest in the market pricing mechanisms of financial assets. As a result, he developed a unique logarithm of methodology for analyzing financial futures markets, and in particular for identifying appropriate entry and exit points. The technique has been named market force analysis, and two patents have been filed on his techniques. He runs a, subscri- he runs a subscri- subscription website service for investors at www.marketforceanalysis.com. Adrian has a particular interest in the precious metals markets and also serves on the board of directors of the Gold Antitrust Action Committee, GATA for short. Welcome, Adrian, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thank you, Jay. Well, it's really great to have you here. I know we sat down. I met you in person uh, finally in Phoenix a, a few months back at a gold show out there. And uh, the first time I really have read a lot of your material over the years from, from GATA, but it was a pleasure meeting you. And now um, really great to have you on the show. I'm, I'm sure our listeners are going to be really interested in what you have to say. Uh, Adrian, uh, as I just noticed, you are on the board of directors of the Gold Antitrust Action Committee. And you know, there are many folks uh, out there in the mainstream, people like uh, Jeffrey Christian, uh, who worked for Bob Rubin at Goldman Sachs, and John Nadler at at Kitco, that sort of scoff at GATA. You know, they sort of look at GATA as an unsophisticated group of of folks who um, look at gold as kind of like religious kooks. And so my question to you is, uh, you know, as a person with a respectable background from Cambridge University, what are you doing on the board of directors of this renegade GATA crowd? Um, well, I think uh, what we're building is, uh, is somewhat unfair because what we've done is essentially uh, accumulate a lot of evidence uh, that 
shows that the gold market has been suppressed. And most of this information is in the public domain. What we've done is, is uh, accumulate it and analyze it and publicize it. And so, you know, we're, uh, Chris Powell quite often says that uh, we are, uh, we're not conspiracy theorists. Uh, you know, everything that we, we uh, publicize and use is in the public domain. Uh, it's just not known by most people. And those that criticize us typically are those that have not taken the time to look at what we've produced. Uh, they argue uh, only based on their own uh, prejudices and, uh, and what they know to date, but they haven't uh, looked closely at the information. Those that have are usually very convinced by what we say. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly, I, I, I think my listeners would know that, uh, that I'm on side with GATT and have been since the early days that I first met Bill Murphy in Montreal, actually, many years ago when he was just uh, perceiving the, uh, the, the notion of, of the Gold Antitrust Action Committee. Uh, and so, you know, I don't want to get into this personal stuff. I know there's a lot of personal animosity out there between uh, some of the mainstream people in GATT, but I, I would rather get into the facts, as you suggest. And, uh, and, I, and I'll tell you, um, Adrian, really, uh, a recent article that you wrote uh, called, uh, titled The Failure of the Second London Gold Pool really caught my attention, and that's what I'd like to focus on today. That article, um, you know, we really we're looking at, um, you know, I can remember as, as an older guy, I can remember the first London gold pool. Uh, and its failure. I remember when gold was $35, and after all of that failed, the attempted manipulation of the gold price. And it, at that time, it was an open ad- admission to manipulating the gold price. But when it failed, gold exploded, you know, from somewhere around 35 bucks to $850. So it was a very big event. And if we were to look at something similar to that now, uh, we would be looking at, at huge gains, perhaps upwards to 6,000 bucks in gold. Now, as I understand it, and reading over the failure of the second London gold pool, you're suggesting that there is a second attempt to manipulate or to suppress the price of gold uh, by certain people, and that that effort may be in trouble now. Uh, So could you, maybe to start with, for those that aren't familiar with the initial London gold pool, could you give our listeners just a little background on what was the London gold pool back in the late 60s, I guess it was, right? Yes. Um, well, if we go back to 1944 and the Bretton Woods Agreement, uh, if you remember, that was um, essentially tying the U.S. dollar to uh, the gold. And uh, then there was a fixed rate uh, exchange between the U.S. dollar and other currencies. And the dollar was uh, set at $35 an ounce. And so at that time, it was convertible by uh, uh, foreign central banks. It was not convertible by um, U.S. citizens. That was stopped in 1934 by uh, Roosevelt. Um, so that uh, uh, fixed the the price of, of uh, the dollar with respect to gold. And during the um, the, uh, the mid 50s, uh, with the Vietnam War, the U.S. needed more money, so they started printing more dollars, and that, of course, uh, made the uh, the uh, uh, price of thirty-five dollars uh, not sustainable. So instead of changing the uh, the, the price of thirty-five dollars, the decision was taken to try and artificially 
keep the price at $35 an ounce. And that was why the London Gold Pool was set up. Uh, this was, as you said, overt manipulation. Mm-hmm. And it comprised uh, eight banks. It was the, the, uh, the Fed and, the, uh, and seven European central banks <clears throat> who all contributed gold to this pool. This was in 1961 when it was set up. And the U.S. provided 50% of the gold for the pool. And the uh, pool then uh, actively... Uh, provided gold into the market to keep the price at $35 an ounce. Um, if, um, uh, if, if the gold price started to rise, they would sell into the PM fix, and if the gold price was lower, then they would buy some of their gold back. And initially, this was successful in, in maintaining the price at $35 an ounce. But of course, you know, this is artificial. If you're printing more dollars uh, than uh, you have the backing for in, in gold, then you are diluting the purchasing power of the currency, so the price has to change. Uh, so this was you know, overt manipulation to try and, and fight against the laws of economics. Uh, this finally collapsed. Uh, well, the first, the first nail in the coffin was in uh, June of 1967 when France decided to withdraw from the pool. Uh, they realized that uh, they were um, uh, basically uh, fighting a losing battle to uh, try and control the laws of economics, and they withdrew from the, the pool. And then by March 1968, uh, the, the uh, pool collapsed completely because uh, they lost uh, 64 million ounces of gold in a very short period of time, which is 2,000 metric tons. And so they realized that they were very quickly going to drain the central banks of gold and uh, and so the the uh, the pool was disbanded um, so that uh, that was a period of uh, something that we know was uh, manipulation of the gold price and it, it failed mm-hmm. now what uh, what I've shown in my latest article is that uh, there is uh, a similar sort of manipulation going on in the gold price today uh, that this time it's covert rather than overt that no one knows that there is a second London gold pool that is active and I discovered this from uh, looking at the AM fix and the PM fix data uh, I started from the point of view that there are two times in the day when we know for absolute you know, certainty that the bullion banks are controlling the price of gold, and that's what is known as the AM fix and the PM fix. And for the listeners who don't know what this process is, uh, there are uh, five uh, bullion banks that are members of the London gold fix. And this goes back to 1919, when uh, this was started in uh, the offices of, um, of Nathan Rothschild, and the large bullion dealers got together each day and they fixed the price of gold and that has been going on uh, pretty much ever since and still goes on to this day and currently the five bullion banks that make up the fix are HSBC, Deutsche Bank, uh, Scotia Mercata, Societe Generale and Barclays and what the process is is that uh, they 
uh, try and find the price at which the number of bars offered for sale uh, balances within an accuracy of 25 bars with the number of bars demanded. So it's it's meant to be a, a, a price which balances the, the market. Mm-hmm. And, and this is done twice a day, the AM fix, which is done at, at 10.30 in the morning, London time. And then again, the PM fix at 3 p.m. Uh, London time. So I realized that at these two points, we know the bullion banks are controlling the price of gold. Uh, so I looked at, at the data to see if there was anything bizarre about it. And uh, in my article, um, you'll see that uh, there is something very bizarre. What I noticed was that uh, on a cumulative basis, the uh, PM price uh, is always lower than the AM price. Always, Adrian, um, may I interrupt you? Is it every day we can see that, or is, is it over a longer period of time? No, it's not every day. It's a very sophisticated manipulation. Um, what you have to do, and what I've done in the article, is to look at the cumulative change. Mm-hmm. So, for example, one day the, the PM price might be $2 higher than the AM price. Mm-hmm. Uh, the following day it might be $4 lower. Mm-hmm. Next day it may be one dollar higher. Next day it may be seven dollars lower. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you add those numbers together to see what your cumulative gain or loss would be, had you bought each day gold on the AM fix and sold it on the on the PM fix. So imagine you're a day trader, and each day you said, "I'm going to buy gold on the AM fix and I'm going to sell it in the afternoon on the PM fix." Well then this cumulative change, if you take the, the difference in price every day and add it all together, that would be your trading gain or loss uh, over a long period of time. And if you do that, what you'd find in the last uh, nine years since this bull market started in 2001, you would have lost $500 per ounce if you'd done that religiously every day. Wow. And this is from January 1, 2001 until, until when, Adrian? Uh, it's from actual April, April uh, 2001 to uh, August uh, 2010. Okay. Um, and if you had, on the other hand, uh, bought gold on the PM fix and held it to the following day's AM fix uh, and done that religiously every day, you would have made $1,400 per ounce. So you wow. would have gained $1,400 per ounce as against a loss of $500 per mm. ounce. Wow. Wow. Um, so this is very bizarre because we're in a bull market, a very strong bull market. Mm-hmm. How you would expect that it doesn't matter really any, any time frame. Uh, you know, on average, if you were trading that time frame, you should also be making money. You'd expect mm-hmm. perhaps you would make a little bit more, a little bit less, mm-hmm. uh, because of volatility and mm-hmm. and uh, you know particular things that uh, news items which might happen during the day. But you wouldn't expect in a bull market that trading in a uh, uh, in a four and a half hour window of the day mm. that you would consistently lose money, mm. um, while in the nineteen and a half hours of the rest of the day you would make money. Mm. Um, so what this shows, and, and, and this is not the only uh, uh, strange thing. The next strange thing is that if you take the cumulative change over the last nine years, and you 
uh, plotted on a chart against the cumulative uh, change overnight, which is uh, from the PM fix to the following day's AM fix, you find that they are perfectly linearly, linearly correlated. Mm. So the more that the price of gold goes up overnight in what I call the Asian trading market, the more cumulatively gold is sold down uh, on the PM fix in London. Wow. Um, which you know, is absolutely mind-boggling, and clearly that can't happen by accident. Um, what you also see is that um, on average, uh, overnight, there, there, over the last nine years, there's been approximately 1,300 uh, up days uh, and 1,000 uh, down days. And in London, it's almost a mirror image that you've got almost 1,300 uh, down days and 1,000 up days. That's remarkable. Uh, now, the chances of that happening by accident uh, I calculated to be 2.6 times 10 to the power 31 against. Uh, so, in other words, it's just impossible that that scenario could happen, uh, you know, just by random uh, happenstance. Adrian, uh, for the benefit, uh, Adrian, for the benefit of those who are not, those of us who are not mathematicians, can you give us that number? Uh, yeah, t- uh, 2.6 times 10 to the power 31 is. 2.6, and then followed by 31 zeros. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, it's, a, a, it's a huge, huge number beyond comprehension. It's a huge number. I mean, a trillion is uh, is one with 12 zeros. Uh-huh. So we're talking about uh, 31 zeros. So, as they uh, say in New York, forget about it. Yeah, yeah. This this would be like someone uh, winning the lottery. Uh, you know, a hundred times in his lifetime. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's the sort of chance of this uh, happening. Um, so it's absolutely impossible that uh, this correlation and this market performance has happened by accident. Um, and we don't need to look for accident because, as I've said, we've looked at two points in the day when we know the central banks are controlling the price. Um, and we also know that what we just discussed uh, a few moments ago, the first London gold pool, is that the, the banks sold into the PM fix uh, to control the price. Now, the reason they sold into the PM fix is because the PM fix uh, acts as the benchmark for gold uh, for the next 19 and a half uh, hours until the AM fix. Um, the AM fix only stands for four and a half hours. So if you are deciding on a time when you want to manipulate the price to have the most impact, you're clearly going to choose the PM fix because uh, the amount of gold you dump to get the price down will then stand for the next 19 and a half hours. Um, so that was what they did in, 19, in the 1960s, and it's exactly what they're doing today. And so this means that uh, someone with a large amount of gold uh, is consistently selling into the PM fix that, uh, on average, they are bringing the price down from the AM fix to the PM fix, which is acting as a big wet blanket on the gold market in general. Um, and as I've pointed out, 
it's uh, algorithmic in that, uh, you know, there's this relationship to uh, how much the price is brought down on average in London to how much it's gone up overnight in uh, Asian trading. Well, Adrian, you mentioned someone with an awful lot of gold must be doing this. Who is that someone? Well, the only culprits um, that, first of all, would have a large amount of gold and secondly, are not concerned about the profit motives of selling that gold, uh, it has to be central banks. Um, because, uh, you know, there might be some other people who might have some, some uh, large amount of gold, but uh, they would certainly not be wanting to sell it consistently uh, at the worst price. So this clearly points the finger at central banks, and the most likely are the Western central banks. Um, and this is done uh, to uh, maintain the purchasing power of fiat currencies. Uh, the, the central banks are not in the gold business. The central banks are in the business of producing paper money that they want the whole world to use as currency and allows governments to be able to buy things and spend beyond their means. Uh, so they, their job is to keep people accepting fiat currency. Uh, so uh, selling gold into the market is a way to keep their uh, main business interest uh, uh, going because uh, if the like, fiat currencies lose purchasing power, then their game finishes. Uh, many people say, well, you know, this, they must be losing their shirts because, you know, they're selling gold at low prices and eventually if they have to buy it back, they're going to have to pay a very high price. Well, that's a view of the world of you and me mm -hmm. uh, because we have to work hard to get fiat currency to buy gold or silver. Um, but if you can print it, it really doesn't matter if the price is $1,200 an ounce for gold or if it's $100,000 an ounce for gold. Mm -hmm. Uh, you can print money to buy it back. As long as people, Adrian, let me just interject, as long as people are confident and accept that paper, that's true. But what if they're not? Exactly. That's what I was going to say is that uh, you know, if you look at the history of central banking, it's cyclical. That essentially, they, they issue their fiat currency. They uh, uh, then try and support its purchasing power, dumping gold into the market, and eventually that game comes to an end because it can't be supported anymore. And before the game ends, they have to be able to buy their gold back. Um, and then if they can buy their gold back, they can start the cycle all over again. They issue a new currency, as we've seen so many times, uh, you know, in Argentina or, or uh, uh, Yugoslavia or um, uh, Venezuela or you name it, the mm -hmm. countries who have uh, just eliminated their, their currency and started with a new one. And, but you've got to have gold in the vault when you restart the cycle. Uh, so you, you raise a very good point. Yes, uh, you have a problem if you get to the point where you've emptied the vaults and your currency has lost so much purchasing power that no one will accept it in exchange for gold. Um, I mean, if you looked at Zimbabwe a couple of years ago, uh, you know, the gold price may have been 10 trillion Zimbabwe dollars per ounce. Uh, but no one would give you an ounce for that uh, because essentially that was saying that it isn't that gold is very valuable. It's saying that the Zimbabwe dollar is worthless. 
though you certainly don't exchange an ounce of gold for uh, something which is worthless. Uh, so that's the the uh, fine balance that the central banks have to uh, manage is where's the point where you've got to get your gold back before the, the game ends. If you leave it too late, uh, you won't get your gold back. Um, and we're already starting to see central banks acquiring gold. They're now net purchasers for the first time in 15 years. Um, not necessarily the Western central banks, um, but as a group, the central banks are now net purchasers of gold. So this is a very good clue that the game is coming to an end. Well, Adrian, let me ask you then, if it's not the Western central banks, in fact, I think we're reading that the Western central banks may still be dishoarding, um, or for example, the IMF uh, is getting rid of gold or has been reported to get rid of gold recently. So if um, who are the banks that are accumulating? Is it the Chinese or who? Yeah, we know the Chinese are accumulating gold and the Russians. And one other thing I point out in my article, which uh, uh, is um, the uh, failure of the second London gold pool, um, is that although I've pointed out that there's this systematic and algorithmic manipulation of the market, uh, what I also point out is that uh, this scheme is now failing. It's worked very well up until uh, 2008. Um, and what you saw was that as the, the gold price started to have you know, big rallies, they increased their um, uh, dumping of gold into the London PM fix, and they quelled the rallies. So they were essentially trying to get some mild appreciation of the gold price, or put the other way, a mild loss of purchasing power of the dollar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when that got out of hand, uh, they would then uh, dump at a higher rate into the PM fix and bring the gold price back down again. Uh, and you can see from my charts that this is systematic. These what I call flare-ups uh, are, are quelled by selling gold into the PM fix. But what happened in, from 2008 through to today is that uh, they've attempted the same thing, um, but it's failing. The, they are selling more and more into the PM fix, uh, but the price of gold is going in the opposite direction. And it's, it, it, it worked for a little while. We got to a, a high um, on um, the 2nd of, uh, sorry, the 20th of February, um, 2009. They started selling into the PM fix brought the gold price down um, uh, up to April 24th, 2009. And then uh, the gold price turned around and, and in general has gone up, even though their selling into the PM fix has increased. So 24th, uh, the 20th of April uh, 2009 was a key date. Uh, what happened on that date was that the Chinese uh, government announced that they had been acquiring gold uh, for six years uh, prior to that date, surreptitiously, and had increased their reserves from 600 tons of gold to 1,054 tons of gold. Um, so they had acquired 454 tons of gold without telling anybody. <laughs> um, that has completely torpedoed this manipulation. Uh, this, I think, said to the world, oops, 
uh, the game must be coming to a close, like I, I, I just described. If the Chinese have been buying gold, uh, then we're behind the curve. We need to be buying gold, too. Uh, I'm talking not Joe Public. I'm talking about sophisticated investors uh, and other central banks uh, that understood the message. Uh, so what's happening now is just like the first London gold pool is that the, the big money realized that if, if the central banks are going to be silly enough to dump gold at below market, uh, then what they're going to do is to pick it up at that bargain basement price. Um, the average investor has been intimidated by these attacks on the gold market, and they run for the hills and they sell uh, typically at the low when they can't take the pain anymore. Hmm. And, and they are victims of this uh, manipulation. Um, but the smart money now, since this Chinese announcement, uh, are doing the opposite. And they are saying, thank you very much. If you're going to dump gold at a low price, we'll take all that you've got. And you can see from my charts in the article that uh, since that 20th uh, of uh, April, uh, sorry, 24th of April, uh, 2009, uh, the gold price is acting totally differently to before and is climbing even in the face of increased dumping of gold. Um, so this suggests that the, this second London pool, uh, gold pool, is failing. Um, what I also noted in the article is that there is a very a large increase in the cumulative decline in the gold price between the M-fix and the TM-fix um, in the first quarter of this year. And that corresponds uh, with the, uh, the recent uh, swaps that were announced that were arranged between uh, around 10 billion banks and the BIS. And that was a swap for... Uh, uh, 246 tons of gold uh, for $14 billion. Now, many analysts have essentially said that this was because these banks needed cash. Hmm. Um, but that's a silly notion because $14 billion in this uh, today's uh, environment is chump change. Yeah, and they can uh, print money anyway. The, and they the, can print money anyway, yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just just like the uh, the ECB announced uh, that they were going to have the one trillion dollar slush fund to support the euro. Um, you know, the, the creation of money out of thin air is not a problem. Uh, and also, fourteen billion dollars uh, is uh, you know peanuts in in central banking terms. So we have to look at the other side of the coin. Uh, that's the two hundred forty six tons of gold. Now, 246 tons of gold is not chump change. Uh, in fact, that makes it the biggest swap ever in history. So that's clearly where we have to focus our attention is why did someone need 246 tons of gold? And okay, Adrian, we're going to have to take a commercial break here. I want to come back with uh, this is fascinating stuff. There's just so much more you've got to tell us, uh, but we do have to take a break. But before we go to break, I want you to tell our listeners how they can uh, learn more about your work, how they can follow your work, because you talk about the charts that you have in your article, and I would suggest to our listeners that they should see those charts. They need to understand this will give you a picture of the uh, of the magnitude of 
change that's coming in the gold markets, I think, in my view. It can really help you to understand what Adrian's talking about statistically here if you can see these charts. So, Adrian, can you give our listeners, before we go to break, give our listeners uh, your website where people can maybe sign up for your service and, and follow your work? Yes, the website is uh, www.marketforceanalysis.com. And the articles we've been talking about are in my public domain. Uh, they're in, under recent articles uh, on the homepage. And as you mentioned, they can sign up for uh, our service, which uh, is a biweekly newsletter which uh, advises on uh, uh, what the outlook is for uh, the, uh, the gold and silver market. We also have uh, a hot list of uh, junior mining stocks which uh, are incorporated also in the service. Well, fantastic. Well, we're going to be right back with uh, Adrian Douglas. Don't go away, folks. We do have to take a commercial break. I've got lots more questions to ask, ask Adrian concerning who are some of these big players that are coming into the market and uh, much, much more. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. The high-risk but high-reward business of mineral exploration is key to discovery and development of America's next generation of mines. A leader in this search is Mill Rock Resources. Based in Anchorage, Mill Rock is revealing the astounding potential for gold deposits in the Alaska frontier. In Arizona, the target is giant, hidden porphyry copper deposits. Financing this search are joint venture partners Peck, Ballet, Inmet, Kinross, and Altius, major industry players. Together, the aim is discovering world-class gold and copper deposits to help secure America's productive future. Investors can share in the potential rewards. Millrock trades on the TSX Venture Exchange, symbol MRO. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let the snappy opportunity pass by welcome to the human race some kind of love and ride i'll be sliding down i'll be gliding down try not to try too hard it's just a lovely ride you're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Again, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, and I want to thank our sponsors for making this show 
financially viable. Sponsors for the second hour of our show are Barkerville Gold, Crocodile Gold, Sullivan Gold Corp., Dasha Capital, Richfield Ventures, Athabasca Uranium, Brigus Gold Corp., Everton Resources, Millrock Resources, and Golden Hope Mines. And uh, by the way, let me just say that some of these companies, that these are companies that are not just sponsors, but they are gold mining companies for the most part. And we're very excited to have them as sponsors on this show. As you know, we uh, earlier today we talked to uh, Golden Hope Mines, and we're going to be talking to another, the CEOs of uh, Richfield Ventures uh, later on in this uh, week's show. So I think both of these companies have the potential to make their shareholders a lot of money in the coming years. And I'm really bullish on the gold mining sector as much as anything, not only because, as Adrian um, has been pointing out in this show, that uh, gold is on the rise, but because the real price of gold has risen very dramatically, especially since the Lehman Brothers decline, we're seeing the real price of gold will buy much more than it did before that point in time. And so gold mining profits are rising, and we think that as the the big guys are showing nice profits, they're going to be looking down the food chain for the juniors and going to be buying into the junior markets very shortly. So we think I believe very definitely that uh, we are in the buying opportunity of a lifetime for gold mining shares and for gold and silver as well. Well, I'd like to get back to Adrian. Um, uh, he's been uh, he was with us during the first uh, first uh, segment, the uh, first half hour of this show. Uh, I should say the um, the first hour of this show. And when we left off, uh, we were talking a little bit about swaps, the 246-ton swap, and uh, you had some more things to add to that. Would you care to, to give us your, your other, more thoughts on that, uh, Adrian, at this point in time? Yes, so what I was saying was that the, um, uh, it, the $14 billion side of the swap is peanuts, but 246 tons uh, is very, very big number for, uh, for gold, and that's you know, more than 10% of annual uh, gold production, just to mm-hmm. be effective. Uh, so well, this suggests that the bullion banks needed uh, not cash, they needed gold. And this uh, coincides with what I was pointing out on my chart, where um, there is an uh, accelerated uh, um, suppression attempt of the gold price uh, in the first quarter of this year. And so that if they are... Uh, uh, increasing their uh, attempts to manipulate the gold price down, that means they are, have to have access to more gold. So it ties in with this very large uh, swap which occurred at, in the first quarter of this year. Uh, also, what we've seen is that the IMF is selling surreptitiously around about 15 tons of gold each month and has been since February. Um, they don't disclose who the recipients are, and uh, they've stopped making the, the big headline announcements that they're selling gold, uh, as they did previously when they announced the, the sale of just over uh, 400 tons. Why do you think uh, they stopped, Adrian? Why have they stopped announcing? Well, because uh, I think now the, it's a sign that they're in trouble, uh, because the, uh, before they, they would announce sales of gold to try and uh, affect the psychology of investors, and they would be intimidated by a large uh, selling of gold from the IMF, and uh, and then they would uh, uh, you know, sell gold as soon as the price started to drop. And that's no longer working now. That's no longer working, and and now the, these 15-ton sales are not being announced. They're happening every month. All we can, the only way we can tell that they're doing it is from their balance sheet. 
so that means that they don't want to tell us who they're selling it to. Well, Adrian, uh, this suggests though that the IMF is is in cahoots with this uh, these five banks or the are the large monetary interests that are that are trying to drive the price of gold down. Is that your contention? Yes, uh, so, you know, Western central banks, uh, the U.S., the Europeans, the IMF, uh, their interest is to maintain dollar hegemony, mm-hmm. and um, uh, and that's what this is all about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so, so as I said earlier, the announcement of the Chinese on uh, 24th of April uh, 2009 changed the whole landscape, and now this manipulation uh, is failing, and. And now you can see the desperation to get their hands on more gold, and uh, even that is not working. Uh, so I expect that the gold market is about to explode. Um, now, what I'd like to also spend a couple of minutes talking about is that we've we, we've discussed this um, manipulation of the physical market, right? But but manipulation really has three tiers or three prongs. Um, the first is the physical market, which we discussed, and they have to dump a certain amount of gold into the physical market to keep the price down. Um, because there are people who want to buy gold, they have to be provided with gold, otherwise the price will explode. Um, the second level of manipulation uh, is what I call paper gold. And I've written some articles about this, about uh, the bullion banks that trade uh, on the LBMA platform, the London Bullion Market Association platform. And 90% of the world gold trading occurs through the LBMA. Um, and most of that trading occurs in what is called unallocated accounts. And that is essentially paper gold because you don't take delivery of it, you don't get serial numbers, um, you just trust the bank that when you give them uh, money, that they are uh, buying gold and holding it for you. And when you sell it, of course, they give you fiat money back again. But you never see the gold. Uh, so let me just it. interrupt. In a sense, Adrian, what we have here is sort of like a casino. It's a paper game. It's a, it's a trading mechanism. It's not no real gold is changing hands. It's just a buyer and a seller speculating one side of the market or the other. Right. They, now, they, they tell you that you are holding metal, and, uh, but they tell you also you are an unsecured creditor, which is a bit of a, uh, a red flag that uh-huh. you don't actually have metal assigned to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I calculate from my work, we don't, go, we don't have time to go into the details, is that there's about 45 ounces of gold sold uh, for every one physical ounce in the vault, uh-huh. um, <laughs> which uh, is a major part of the gold price suppression um, because clearly that is multiplying the apparent supply of gold 45 times. Okay, Adrian, so so let me just interject. So if if a lot more of those, those people decide they want to actually take possession of that gold, it's not going to be there. What happens to the price then? Um, the price obviously goes through the roof. Uh, UBS recently came out uh, with a... Uh, uh, commentary to the uh, investors and actually admitted that there was a growing trend away from what they call paper gold to allocated gold, uh, which was amazing admission from a bullion bank. Uh, first of all, that they admit that paper gold uh, d- does exist uh, and that there is a trend away from it to allocated gold. And you know, paper gold essentially says that you are buying something which is unbacked or only partially backed. 
Um, so, you know, if everybody bought paper gold, nobody bought the real stuff, clearly the price could never go up. This would be perfect price suppression. Right. Everybody in the world was to accept paper gold and not real gold. Right. Um, now, fortunately, there are people who uh, have to have the real stuff and the price is going up and there's more and more people wanting the real stuff. But the wet blanket on this is that there are uh, essentially 45 times many, as many ounces sold as there exist uh, in the vaults of the bullion banks. That's fast. Um, now, uh, I, uh, if you calculate that, um, you know, if you are buying an ounce of gold at, say, $1,250 an ounce, um, and the bullion bank sells you 45 ounces, you're going to pay him approximately $56,000 for your 45 ounces. Mm-hmm. For you, the price of gold is $1,250 an ounce. But now imagine you were able to creep around to the bullion bank side of the, of the counter and see what's happening on his side. And he knows he's only got one ounce, even though he sold you 45. <sighs> so what's the price of gold for him? It's $56,000 an ounce because he only has one and he received $56,000 from you. Uh. Now, this is very interesting because if you take the U.S. dollar, uh, the U.S. government claims that they have 261.5 million ounces of gold uh, in their reserves. Um, we, we can discuss about whether that's there or not in a moment, but uh, let's take them at face value and say that they do have it. Um, People say the dollar is backed by nothing, but it's not true. It's actually backed by that gold, but you can't have it. Nixon temporarily, uh, if you go back to his speech, he temporarily suspended convertibility of uh, the dollar for gold. Um, So it still means that that gold is backing the the U.S. dollar, but you can't have it. You can't go and get it. Uh, So we've issued $14 trillion against 261.5 261.5 million ounces of gold. Uh, if you do the division, that comes to $56,000 an ounce. Wow. It's exactly the same number, as I just said, uh, from the LBMA selling 45 times mm. uh, as, as much gold as they've got. And that has to be the case because you've defined the dollar by the amount of reserves you've got and how many you've issued. You can't then go and trade that same dollar in the marketplace and come up with a different uh, gold content Hmm. because that's what trading is doing. It's essentially deciding how much gold you can get for the for the dollar. Yeah, Um, it's not determining the price of gold. Right. So essentially, they have to sell forty-five times uh, as much gold as they have in the vault to be able to maintain this this artificially high purchasing power of the dollar. Well, obviously, that's impossible, Adrian. What's going to happen here? Well, uh, the scheme, as I said, is coming apart. That uh, how this whole thing fails uh, is when there isn't enough physical. Uh, so I mentioned the, the second tier is this, uh, is this paper trading on the LBMA. The third tier is the derivatives market, the COMEX, essentially, right. um, which is used for these large smackdowns, uh, selling paper contracts, uh, that frighten investors away and make them sell and brings down the price. Um, so with those three elements, they've managed to suppress the price of gold. Um, but this will not be defeated you know, on the COMEX. Uh, this will be defeated in the physical market because 
when people ask for more gold than these uh, bullion banks can provide, the game is over. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening right now. From my analysis, you'll see very clearly that what they've been doing for the last 10 years is now not working. It's, it's like we rewind the clock to 1967, uh, just before the uh, London Gold Pool uh, collapsed in March of 1968. We are seeing this suppression of the physical uh, gold market failing. Um, and that's because more people are asking for, for gold than they actually have and they, than they can provide. So the strategy would be quite clear. You don't want to own too much paper these days. You probably want to take that paper while you can still buy gold cheaply and, and buy it. Absolutely. You, you, you want to exchange your fiat dollars or fiat, any, any currency and, uh, and buy real physical metal. And if you are an owner of uh, paper, substitutes, you want to get the real stuff. So if you have unallocated gold uh, or unallocated silver, uh, you need to do your due diligence to make sure that uh, you are actually holding metal or have rights to that metal. You have ownership of that metal. Um, And a lot of people think they are owning gold, and they don't. They have an IOU or a promise to give you gold. Now, let me just ask you on another derivative product, for example, the ETFs for gold or silver. What about those? Um, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about uh, the ETFs and, uh, you know, the, the major ETFs, SLV and GLD, as to whether they are f- uh, backed by gold and silver or not. And, uh, you know, there's various people who come out in defense of them and write articles about them. There's various people who write articles that attack them. I say, why bother? Why do you need someone to defend, you know, the, these uh, these vehicles? Mm-hmm. Uh, if there's any doubt about them, why own them? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's as simple as that. Have the metal. Uh, you don't need to be uh, supporting these ETS like some sort of political party where you have <laughs> a belief in it. Uh, you don't want to have a belief. You want to have concrete facts that you own bullion. Um, and if they can't write a prospectus uh, that categorically says we have bullion, it 100% backs our, the shares that we issue, it's not hypothecated, it's not encumbered in any way, then they don't deserve any investors because it's very simple. Uh, that's all you need to do is to write a very clear cut prospectus so that there is no doubt. Uh, the only reason people have been able to write articles criticizing them is because their prospectus uh, has so many holes in it, you can diet drive a double-decker bus through them. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of other ways people can own gold. For example, uh, CEF is one way. Uh, the Central Fund of Canada is, is one way that I have personally per, uh, owned gold and silver. That's a, sort of a mixture of yes. 50-50 between gold and silver. Uh, I have confidence in that because it seems as though it's, it's audited on a, frequent, on a frequent basis and you know how many uh, ounces of silver and gold and cash is behind each share of that stock. Another one would be James Turk's gold money as another yes. area that I think... Uh, what, do you have any comment on either of those yes, products? I mean, uh, uh, CEF, GTU, um, which is run by uh, uh, the Canadian fund that uh, runs CEF, um, SBT, uh, PHYS run run by Sprott. Uh-huh. Uh, um, I mean, these are uh, funds which categorically say that they are backing 100% the shares. It's audited, 
uh, you know, you don't have to have any discussion about whether right. your investment is solid or not. It's written right. in black and white. Gold money, yes, I'm a big fan of gold money. Um, it's audited uh, by third parties. Uh, they make sure that the amount of gold and silver they've sold equals the gold and silver in the vault. Uh, these are bona fide operations, which you can verify for yourself. Uh, it's written in black and white. It's audited. Uh, you don't have to have a faith or a belief, uh, and, and it's, it's there. Yeah. Um, so unless you have that, uh, then you, know, you, you probably don't have any gold or silver. Adrian, uh, we speculated, uh, or you talked about the need when the game comes to an end. Um, uh, there is a need for the powers that be then to reacquire their gold so they can start again a new currency, that confidence can be restored in the paper. Um, what about gold now? Does the United States have the gold? Do we know? We haven't been audited since the Eisenhower administration. So what do we know about the gold in the U.S. coffers, I can remember talking to a, a, a famous person at Kitco, for example, and he said, why would you question? And he said, I've been in these vaults. I've seen the gold there. I know it's there. So, I mean, uh, you know, people that are questioning whether the United States has the gold, I mean, they're loonies. They're, it's obviously there. But there, on the other hand, we know that uh, gold has been leased from one country to the next and so forth, right? So, in any event, what, what are your thoughts? Is Let's say that this game comes to an end, this fiat currency uh, bubble ends, and we have to go back to the real thing again, to gold, to real money. Does the United States have the gold to make that happen? Um, well, I, I would be very surprised if um, the gold that uh, the U.S. claims to have uh, is not encumbered in some way. Uh, you know, those that are just simply saying, well, you know, the, the gold is there in, in, in Fort Knox or in the uh, in New York Fed, um, then they're just making a too simplistic argument because the gold may be there, um, but the question is, who does it belong to? Mm -hmm. and, and that needs to be audited. And the, the notion that we shouldn't do an audit uh, because it's there is ridiculous. I mean, we don't apply that principle to any other business. Uh, businesses have to be audited by law. Sure. And it, it, that doesn't mean we suspect them of being fraudulent because we do an audit on companies each year. It's just part of, of, you know, uh, of verifying uh, that they are conducting their business correctly. And so why shouldn't we do the same thing with the U.S. Uh, gold? Why should we be expected to trust that it's there? Let's do an audit. If it's there and it's unencumbered, we need to, you know, that's good to know. Uh, also, if it's not there or it's there and it's encumbered, we also need to know. Um, so it's just good business practice to audit. Simple as that. Um, and, and those that defend it uh, vigorously and saying that we don't need to do an audit, I, I uh, question their, uh, their principles. Adrian, um, a few moments ago you talked about $56,000. Um, wh what do you think the price of gold, I mean, this is pure speculation, uh, but how high, and, and in a way, I don't like this question when it's asked of me, how high will the price of gold goes, go? Because in my way of thinking, it's what an ounce of gold will buy is more, a more important question. Yes. But in theory, we could see gold go to the moon. We could see extremely high prices for gold. Yes. Um, no, I think the important thing is what is the purchasing power of gold? Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, if I said to you, 
uh, gold could go to $10,000 an ounce, you'd probably be quite happy. If I said gold could go to $10 trillion an ounce, you'd probably say, oh, that would mean that the dollar has collapsed. Yeah. Um, so at which point would your happiness stop? Uh, and, and you'd say, oh, that's not a good deal anymore. Yeah. Um, and traditionally, uh, gold has been not a way to make money or to profit. It's been a way to protect your wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so uh, as the, you know, if the gold price goes from $1,200 to $2,400, uh, but the price of bread goes from $5 a loaf to $10 a loaf, you haven't gained anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so typically, gold protects your wealth. But this time it's different because uh, what we've just discussed is that uh, the supply of gold has been artificially increased by this paper gold uh, to what I think is something like 45 times the actual uh, supply. Uh, so that means that uh, when that is exposed and people are asking for gold that isn't there, the potential is that gold's purchasing power will be multiplied by 45 times in rough terms. Mm-hmm. Now, that, so it doesn't matter what, how many dollars it buys, um, you know, whether it's $56,000 or $20,000 or $10,000. I think what's important for investors to understand is that you will probably be able to buy 45 times more cars or 45 times more houses uh, or 45 times more loaves of bread with your gold than you can today. Um, that is where I see the, the, you know, the, the big payout for gold investors uh, is this manipulation uh, has artificially increased the gold supply. When that disappears, you're not going to be protecting your wealth. You're going to be multiplying it by some large factor, whether it's 45 or 20 or 50, I don't know. But it's going to be something of that magnitude. So there will be a reallocation of wealth from those who do not have gold, who are tied up in paper, to those who do. And will that not then perhaps beget some political repercussions against the people who are fortunate enough and smart enough to own gold ahead of time? Might we not see massive taxes placed on those who were smart enough to buy gold before this exponential rise in its price? Um, yes, I think uh, you know it's human nature uh, that uh, people try to take the the, uh, the wealth of others. Uh, we already saw it in uh, in Australia recently, where they tried to pass the new uh, mining law to uh, uh, to take more of the wealth of the mining companies. Uh, so yes, we can expect that uh, there will be attempts to uh, increase taxes to try and control gold and silver. Um, but you know that shouldn't discourage people from owning it because uh, you know the, the the good news is you're 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 gaining you're you're uh, increasing your purchasing power. So there may be some part of that purchasing power you're going to have to give to the government as new taxes uh, right. maybe unavoidable. But um, you know those taxes will never be a hundred percent. Well, they can get pretty close. As we found in the Roosevelt administration, they were taxing the upper-income people upwards to 94%, but as you say, that's, those were upper-income people. I'd like to ask yeah, you... That's uh, probably time to change country. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's not so easy for the, for the average person to change countries, but uh, it's certainly something to keep in mind. I, know. Um, I, I would like to ask you, Adrian, a little bit about your thoughts on what's going on globally. We're seeing a shift, certainly seeing a shift in wealth to Asia. And as James Turk has pointed out in the past, we've always seen gold move to where the wealth goes. 
and 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 this gets to the question in my mind at least of geopolitics and and shifting world power because as you uh, I don't know if we talked about this today or not but if the United States dollar uh, declines significantly, then the United States is going to have a hard time maintaining its military and its and its uh, military power around the world. But do you see um, do you do you see a major shift in power? Uh, do you see do you see possibly a collapse in the dollar and hyperinflation uh, taking place? Uh, is that your is that your prediction? Yes, uh, as the uh, uh, the gold price goes up, essentially it's a uh, reduction in the purchasing power of the dollar, and this is why the Western central banks are uh, so keen on manipulating the gold prices because they want to maintain the the hegemony of the dollar. Um, the dollar allows uh, a, the world's biggest military operation to uh, continue, uh, and it allows purchasing anything you want in the world. Uh, if the dollar collapses, then you don't have a military anymore, uh, and you can't purchase anything in the world because no one will accept your money. So um, you can instantly go from you know, the world's superpower to a third world nation if the purchasing power of your currency collapses. Uh, and you know, this is what the gold price suppression uh, has, has been about. But that doesn't uh, that doesn't in any way justify the gold price suppression. Your money should be uh, have a, a uh, purchasing power, which is because it's being issued in scarce quantities and that it's valuable, not that it's something else uh, is being suppressed to try and make it look like it's valuable. Mm-hmm. That's just an accident waiting to happen. Um, and it does put into jeopardy uh, the position that the U.S. and the Western uh, countries enjoy in the world today. Uh, so this is what is the uh, the dark side of this uh, manipulation. Um, and I'd also like to say is that gold has never gone away from the monetary system. Uh, it's just not visible uh, to most people. But the LBMA trades 20 million ounces of gold a day, um, which is, of course, mainly paper because... He couldn't trade that amount of physical gold. Um, so this is through this unallocated account system. Uh, 20 million ounces a day on a net basis is $7.5 trillion a year. Wow. Yeah. Um, that's bigger than any other commodity market. Oil, we consume 85 million barrels a day. So on a net basis, that's uh, $6 billion uh, a day, um, as opposed to $24 billion a day for gold. So the gold market is four times bigger than the crude oil market. That's incredible. That's, a, that's something I wasn't aware of. Uh, so it's, not a, it's not a backwater. It is, it is the, the nucleus of the financial system uh, still to this day. Uh, it's gold which gives fiat currency its purchasing power. Uh, and that's the secret that is not known by many people. But that's why so much gold is traded each day. Uh, well, Adrian, it seems to me that what you're telling me, uh, what you're telling our listeners here, is that we could be very, very close to a breakdown in this scheme of uh, suppressing the gold price and enhancing the perceived value of the dollar. Uh, is this something that you talk about in your paid service on a regular basis? Um, in our paid service, we uh, 
tend to look at the uh, short-term and medium outlook for gold and silver mm-hmm. uh, to allow people to, to trade or just to understand what's happening in the marketplace. Um, and we do have a dis- discussion on general topics, uh, so, so these sort of things will come up, but it's not a main focus of our discussions. Uh, that tends to be in our separate articles, which we put into the public domain, as I mentioned, they're on the homepage of our website. And the reason I put that into public domain is I think that it is information which is, uh, you know, very useful to be out there and for people to know about. Um, and um, uh, I think it helps the cause of, uh, of people who are investors in gold and silver to, to have this uh, sort of information public. Well, that's, that's uh, very excellent. I, I would like you to tell our listeners again, uh, just once more before we say goodbye, how they can avail themselves to your service. Your website again is what? Uh, the website is www.marketforceanalysis.com. That's fantastic, Adrian. Thank you so much uh, for being with us today. I think you've uh, provided an awful lot of insights into the markets for those that aren't as uh, tuned in as, as they would like to be, as they should be perhaps, because I think gold is so, so important in terms of, uh, you know, it's downplayed in the mainstream. They don't want you to really think of gold as money, and so it's always, you know, treated as a commodity, as something that's just out there, uh, you know, for, for rich people to play with sometimes and put around your neck. But basically it is at the very heart of our of our monetary system, whether it's uh, in view or not, as you point out. So once again, I want to thank you, Adrian, for being with us and, and sharing your insights with our listeners. Uh, folks, don't go away. Uh, we're going to be right back after the commercial big break with Richfield Ventures. It's a company that we had on our show a few weeks ago, and um, I'm happy to see that uh, the share price has actually gained about 35% since then. So don't go away. We're going to be back to talk to the executives at Richfield Ventures uh, about their prospects, their exploration prospects in British Columbia. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer-long by 20-kilometer-wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open-pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Richfield Ventures Corp. is a publicly traded junior mining company on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol RVC. Led by an experienced and dedicated team, Richfield is systematically drilling 25,000 meters of core in 2010 on its Blackwater Gold Project in central British Columbia, where the primary goal is to discover a world-class bulk tonnage gold deposit. With $5 million in treasury and 40 million shares fully diluted, Richfield and its shareholders are poised for a major discovery. Go to richfieldventures.ca. CA for further information. 
Solid and Gold is focused on the exploration and development of its wholly owned Showindo Gold Project in Peru. The company is currently undertaking the largest exploration program to date on the property and with this expects to continue increasing its current mineral resource. A preliminary assessment was completed last year highlighting a very positive and economical project and a bankable feasibility study is currently underway. Don't miss this great opportunity to embark on an emerging gold production story. Visit www.sullivan.com to learn more. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let the snappy opportunity pass by. Dasha Capital is offering the world's first and only corporate stockpile of rare earth minerals, giving investors the ability to participate in the physical ownership of these critical elements without the associated mining and execution risk. Rare earth elements are used in many industries, from aerospace and automotive to high-tech and green tech. Dasha Capital is listed on the TSX.V in Toronto under the symbol DAC and on the OTCQX in the U.S. under symbol DCHAF. Please visit at www.dashacapital.com to learn more. That's D-A-C-H-A capital.com. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down Sliding down Try not to try too hard It's just a lovely ride You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech stocks at www.miningstocks.com now back to our program welcome back to turning hard times into good times i am your host jay taylor well we were supposed to have peter Berner and dr dirk templeton of uh, richfield uh with us but for some reason uh, i guess there was a mis- uh, misstep in communications perhaps but they're going to be with us next week instead well, that gives me an opportunity, however, and some time, uh, with the time we have remaining, to talk to my friend Roger Wiegand, friend and partner, I might add, Roger Wiegand, who publishes an excellent newsletter called Trader Tracks. And we tell you a lot of, uh, you know, every week we tell you how you can get a, a trial subscription to Roger's excellent newsletter by calling Claudio Bossi at 718-457-1426. 718-457-1426. Welcome, Roger. Glad you could be with us today. Thank you. Thank you, Jay. Glad to be here. Um, now, uh, what we've had quite a move in the gold markets today. I mean, to me, that's the big news. I, when I looked at uh, the start of this show earlier today, anyway, the gold price was up about 27 bucks. How did we finish in the day on the cash market, or I guess you maybe look at the futures market? <clears throat> We're looking at the December most active futures contract uh, after the closing up $22.40. Uh, gold did open on that December contract 
way back at 1246. Uh, it then went screaming up to a high of 1276, a full $30 higher, and then came back and settled at around 1270. That's about where we are right now. Uh, we're forecasting a 1265 support uh, on a wave two. Today, incidentally, was a wave one of five waves up. We're beginning a whole new wave cycle. In the fall in gold, we have three complete cycles up and down, and we have the same for silver, and they start right after Labor Day and usually go all the way through until Thanksgiving. So considering the power that we saw today in gold, uh, it certainly bodes well for our markets for this fall. So it's looking very good. Uh, we, we see a little uh, pullback tomorrow on Wednesday for profit-taking, and then the big wave three begins. Uh, traders and investors should keep in mind that the wave three, probably beginning on this Thursday, is normally the largest or 50% of the whole wave cycle going higher. Uh, we're looking at some numbers that traders could uh, keep an eye on. Uh, if we come back to 1265 on the futures on support, uh, the next up leg in gold would probably go to um, would go uh, to 1275, uh, then 1285, then 1292.50, then 1298.50, 1307, and then the last leg that we're forecasting this fall, 1325 to 1375. Keep in mind that some of our analyst friends who are very good people and smart in this business are really forecasting numbers even higher than that. They're looking at 1450 to 1550 before the end of the year. Uh, we're not quite that bold yet, but as we go along here over the next three, four weeks, we'll be able to get a handle on this and see where it's going to go next. But the, way, the reason that this thing got set off, some people are saying, is that there was a sentiment index that came out in Germany in the middle of the night and it came in very poorly. It was the worst sentiment index in Germany in 19 months. Now, what does that mean? Germany and Canada and China, at this juncture, we consider to be the top three countries uh, trying to keep their head above water and pull the rest of the world up by their bootstraps. Germany exports 40% of their products, and for to see a real downer like this in Germany in the sentiment index, it immediately set off a gold rally in Europe. It continued into the open this morning in New York, drifted on into Chicago, and we suspect that it'll continue tonight in Asia. So mm -hmm. the, the day has been a fantastic day for gold and silver uh, investors and traders and also those that are in the stocks. Now, one of the stocks that we follow in our newsletter is PHYS, also known as the Sprott Physical Gold Trust. Now, the price on that one after the close today was $11.53. Looking at the chart, more importantly, Jay, we see a huge, wide, inverted head and shoulders, usually portending or forecasting a major upleg, and that would be consistent with what we see in the next two or three months with gold and silver. Mm-hmm. Well, Roger, you know, the media always finds reasons for markets to move after they've moved. And 
what you say makes a certain amount of sense for sure. But, uh, you know, those uh, listeners that might have heard Adrian Douglas talk, uh, there, there could be many reasons. And, and certainly what Adrian is talking about, the, uh, the suppression of the gold price, and I think that he really has provided irrefutable evidence of, of a gold manipulation scheme on the part of the five bullion banks that control, that set the PM and AM fix every day in London. But, you know, Adrian pointed out that we are getting to a point where more and more manipulation is not working. Why? Because more and more people are losing confidence in paper currency and Roger what you're saying there to do with the German statistics you know that would be another kind of uh, uh, you know a kind of news that would hurt confidence in paper money I suppose well I, I don't think there's any question they uh, the biggest bank in Germany the Dutch Bank uh, just this last week uh, it indicated they were going to put out a, a stock offering of 11.4 billion uh, euros and the reason for that, they said, was because they wanted to put together a piggy bank for acquisitions. But the analysts in looking at this said that's way too much money required uh, for acquisitions considering the capital they have on their books today. So what we think everybody is doing, and by everybody we mean banks, corporations, anybody that needs capital to run a big business, mm-hmm. is either outselling bonds again to raise more money, or they're outselling shares. Yeah. And it's been a phenomenal run, particularly with bonds. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Roger, we're going to be going to break in just a minute, and then we're going to come back. In fact, uh, I just, I'm just told by my engineers that we have one minute left. Uh, what I'd like to get into uh, for the few minutes that we have remaining after the commercial break is where do you think the bond market is going? Let's, let's get started with it now. I mean, the 30, let's go with the 30-year treasuries. 30-year December Treasury futures, as we speak, real-time right now are closed. They're at 131 and 11. Now, that chart, if you look at it uh, on the weekly or monthly, which gives the best picture, shows a massive top. It shows a head and shoulders top. It's starting to turn over and sell back down. It was much higher. It was up at 133, 134. We're back at 131 now. Uh, The other thing is, along with that, the U.S. dollar was a major seller today. We did forecast that bonds and the dollar would sell together, and the U.S. dollar is 81.47. Yeah, that's very interesting. Well, we are going to go to break now. Uh, when we come back, Roger, I want to ask you about some your your technical views of some of the other markets, like the energy markets, the copper, the base metal markets. And I want to see if you have any opinion on... Uh, on rare earths, because rare earths are sort of all the rage up here in Canada these days, and all gold really is, but the second most talked about topic, it seems to be the rare earth companies. So, uh, folks, we'll be right back with Roger Wiegand as soon as we go to commercial break. Don't go away. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let the snappy opportunity pass by. Brigus Gold is a growing gold producer with expected production of about 85,000 ounces of gold this year from its Black Box mine in the Timmins Gold District in Canada. Next door to Black Box, Brigus has the exciting Gray Fox Pike River Gold Project. Brigus is also advancing its Gold Fields Project in Saskatchewan, Canada, and its promising exploration projects in Mexico and the Dominican Republic. All of its gold assets are in low-risk operating jurisdictions. Consider Brigus as your gold investment choice. Brigus is listed on the MX and TSX under the symbol BRD. Barkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Barkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Barkerville's own proposed open-pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Barkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a love listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I've got Roger Wiegand, my partner and friend, back with us for the final wrap-up in the last four or five, six minutes, whatever time we have left here. Roger, when we went to break, uh, I said I'd like to ask you if you have any opinion on rare earths. Do you follow any rare earth companies? Or yes, any- I do. I've got one in our letter, and we've done exceedingly well with it. And it just about went off like a rocket last week on the announcement that uh, China was going to tighten up the exports on the rare earth minerals that they have. Uh, they've cut down on the exports to the tune of 75% roughly. And I, was, I made the comment in my write-up my, in my newsletter last week that we think that uh, we, the pressure could increase. Uh, Japan got so upset immediately they filed a complaint with the World Trade Organization. Uh, these rare earth minerals are exceedingly uh, in demand. They're very crucial for defense electronic products in the United States and also for electronics manufacturing in Japan. So consequently, when, it, when, when three-quarters of the whole supply is taken off the market in one fell swoop, the remaining people that are in the business, and there's only a handful, uh, their stocks took off. 
Okay, Raj, um, what, yeah, I might just remind our listeners that there's one way they can play the rare earths, and that's with Dasha Capital, which is one of our sponsors. And the reason I like that is because the risk is removed from mining. I mean, they, they buy the metals and hold them uh, because they're, they're very bullish on the metals, so they're holding them. I'd just like to pass that on to our listeners. Roger, uh, what, about, uh, what about oil? I mean, probably the most important commodity. Well, oil is half of the CRB, the Commodities Index. As, as you mentioned, it's very important. Uh, we were in a new rally from around $70 up to $77. Uh, the rally is pretty much completed now. Uh, it, oil went up a couple dollars the last few days last week simply because there was an oil leak uh, in a major pipeline coming from Canada to the Midwest. That particular pipeline uh, exports 10% of USA oil from Canada, 10% of the whole thing. Mm. So when that happened, uh, the price shot up from like 75 to 77, 78. Now today the news came back that uh, the pipeline may be coming back on fully repaired sooner than expected, and of course uh, oil came back. Mm -hmm. uh, we're still looking at an oil price of $76.75. OPEC would like to keep the price in that trading range between 70 and 80. So generally, they're pretty happy with it right now. We okay, Roger, we only got a, we've only got about a minute or so left. What, how does oil look on the charts to you? Well, it looks to me like it's topped, like we're going to do ABC sideways right now in a channel, mm -hmm. and then after that, we'll probably continue the rally. Okay. All right, one, uh, one, 30 seconds to talk about copper. How does that look on the charts? Copper looks a little bit flat to sideways. It's been running at around 350. Uh, on the commodities, keep in mind that uh, copper and bonds do go opposite. And when bonds go down, copper goes up. Uh, copper has been a little bit flat this week. But then this morning, China did make an announcement that they're buyers again, and they're back in the market. Okay. Well, thank you, Roger. Unfortunately, that's all the time we've got. We've got to have you on more often because you have a lot of broad, uh, broad insights into many, many different markets. It's always fun listening to you talk about them. Folks, uh, next week, I want to tell you, our special guest is William T. Hathaway. He is a former Special Forces soldier who became a peace activist and political journalist. A big part of the ability of the United States is to continue to enjoy the advantage of having the world's reserve currency. And many people, including John Perkins, who we've had on this show, believes that the military is a big part of that enforcing of the, uh, of the world's reserve currency being the U.S. dollar. Well, it's a very interesting show coming up next week with John ha or with uh, William Hathaway, I should say. In closing, I want to thank our staff at Voice America for making this show logistically possible, starting with Tacey Trump, my executive producer, Ruben Colombe, my operations manager, Justin Jackman, my crackerjack engineer. I want to thank all of you for making that, uh, for making this show logistically possible. Thank you to each of you for listening. Thanks to our sponsors for making this show uh, financially viable. And until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is that time is